Section 56 of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1, Section 56. Chapter 16, The Eastern Provinces from Arcadius to Anastasius, by E. W. Brooks, Continued. The capture of Carthage caused the dispatch of a fleet to Sicily in 441, but in consequence of an eruption of Huns into Illyricum, the force was recalled in 442 and peace made, but not before the expedition had led to a war with Persia. Under the capable direction of Anatolius, the Magister Militum Por Orientum, the defense of the eastern frontier had been strengthened by stricter rules of discipline in the army and by the building of the fortress of Theodosiopolis in Armenia. This last, the new king, Yazdegerd II, probably considered a menace, and he therefore took advantage of the troubles in the west to begin war, crossing the frontier from Nisibus and sacking several towns, while another force raided Roman Armenia. He was, however, hampered by bad weather and threatened by the Ephthalites beyond the Caspian. Hence, though the Romans had no army to oppose him, Anatolius and Aspar, by a large sum of money and a promise to surrender some Christian refugees, persuaded him to make a truce for a year. As the troubles with the Ephthalites continued, this was followed by a definite peace on the terms that neither party should build a fort within a certain distance of the frontier, and the Romans should renew an undertaking made by Jovian to contribute to the defenses of the Caucasian gates. One of the last acts of Cyrus was to provide that the Armenian frontier lands should be held on condition of supplying horses, wagons, and pikemen for the army. After her daughter's marriage, for which Valentinian came to Constantinople, Eudokia went on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and on the way gained much popularity at Antioch by a speech in which she boasted of her Greek blood. She returned in 439, and meanwhile some hostile influence seems to have been at work, for in 440, Paulinus, ex-master of the offices, was beheaded at Caesarea in Cappadocia, on suspicion, as was popularly believed, of an intrigue with her, and soon afterward she was asked to leave to retire to Jerusalem, and left Constantinople forever. With her fell Cyrus, who, through the popular acclamation, Constantine founded, Cyrus restored, had incurred the emperor's jealousy. Being charged with paganism, he took orders to save his head, and was made bishop of Cotieum, where four bishops were said to have been murdered. By his discreet conduct, he succeeded in retaining his see till the time of Leo, when on some unknown charge he was deprived and came back to Constantinople, where he remained in possession of large property. Antiochus was also deposed and compelled to take orders. Pulcheria returned to court, but the chief influence was for the rest of the reign exercised by the eunuch Chrysaphius. Eudokia was not left in peace at Jerusalem, but Saturninus, count of the Domestici, was sent to spy upon her, and for some reason beheaded two clergymen who attended upon her. She in revenge assassinated Saturninus, and was deprived of her imperial train, though she still disposed of ample revenues, which she spent on the erection of churches and monasteries. She composed several poems, of which large portions have been lost, and died in 460. The good administration introduced by Anthemius had been in some measure maintained under the ascendancy of Pulcheria and Eudokia, but under Chrysaphius the days of Arcadius seemed to have returned. The Huns overran Thrace and Illyricum, and the murder of the Magister Militum of Thrace, John the Vandal, apparently by order of Chrysaphius, did not strengthen the resistance. The Romans suffered a severe defeat, and Chrysaphius could only grant Attila's terms and send emissaries to assassinate him. In 447, the walls of Constantinople were shattered by an earthquake, 
and in consequence of the terror caused by the Huns, the prefect Constantine rebuilt them in 60 days, and the Isurians, who had renewed their raids in 441, were called in under their leader Zeno to defend the city. Zeno afterwards extorted the office of Magister Militum per Orientum and demanded the surrender of Chrysaphius, and though this was not granted, the danger from the Huns prevented an intended campaign against the marauders. Bands of Sani, Saracens, and Caucasian Huns had invaded the empire during the Persian War, and we hear of Saracen raids again several years later, while Yazdegerd showed signs of a desire to renew hostilities. Libya too was again harassed by the frontier tribes, and the Vandals terrorized the Ionian Sea. On the 26th of July, 450, Theodosius broke his spine by a fall from his horse while hunting, and died two days later. The appointment of a successor was left to the Augusta Pulcheria, and her choice fell upon Marcion, a veteran soldier from Thrace of high character who had held the post of Domesticus, chief of the staff, to Aspar, to whose influence the selection must be ascribed. Pulcheria crowned Marcion in the presence of the Senate and gave him her hand in nominal marriage. The first act of the new rulers was to put Chrysaphius to death. The sale of offices was prohibited, though it is unlikely that the prohibition was strictly carried out, and attempts were made to lighten the burden of taxation by a remission of arrears, by reducing the number of praetors to three, and relieving non-resident senators from the burden of office. And by enacting that the consuls, instead of squandering money on the populace, should make a contribution towards the repair of the aqueducts, an obligation which was extended to honorary consuls by the Emperor Zeno. Marcion also put an end to a system under which the possessors of certain lands which had been sold by the state in the time of Valens escaped their share of taxation. The popularity of his rule is shown by the words, Reign like Marcion, with which the citizens in 491 greeted Anastasius. In external relations, the reign was a fortunate one. As Attila was preparing for his western expedition, his demands for money could safely be refused, and when after his return he repeated them with threats, death prevented him from carrying these out. From Zeno, who was appealing to heathen support, the emperor was delivered by his death following a fall from his horse. Envoys from the Armenian insurgents had come before Theodosius's death to ask for help, but Marcion refused to break the peace with Persia. With the Vandals also, peace was maintained, for though after the sack of Rome in 455, Marcion tried to obtain the release of Eudoxia and her daughters. The possession of these hostages, as well as Aspar's influence, secured Gaiseric from attack. In Syria, the Magister Militum, Aspar's son Artaburius, was in 452 fighting with Arab raiders near Damascus, after which negotiations were begun, but with what result is not known. At the same time, Egypt was suffering from incursions of the Blemies, who gave hostages to the imperial envoy Maximin, and made peace for 100 years, but on his sudden death recovered the hostages by force and renewed their raids till put down by Florus, prefect and count of Egypt. A more serious position arose on the Danuban frontier, where, after the collapse of the Hun Empire, some of the Huns and other tribes were settled in the north of Illyricum and Thrace as Federati. Of these, the most important was a body of Ostrogoths, who, under three brothers of the Amal family, Walamir, Theodomir, and Widimir, settled in eastern Pannonia, of which they received a grant from Marcion, who did not recognize Valentinian III's successors. They also received pay as Federati. In 453, Pulcheria died, leaving all her property to the poor, a bequest which Marcion faithfully carried out. By a former wife, Marcion had a daughter, whom he had given in marriage to Anthemius, grandson of the prefect Anthemius. But when he died, at the age of 65, 
he had taken no steps to secure his son-in-law's succession, and the throne lay at the disposal of Aspar the patrician and Magister Militum, who as an Arian and barbarian could not himself assume the crown, but might reign in the name of some puppet emperor. He therefore chose Leo, a military tribune from Dacia, and his own steward, a man of some capacity but little education, and the choice was ratified by the Senate. As there was no elder emperor or Augusta to perform the coronation, Leo was crowned by the patrician Anatolius. This precedent was henceforth followed whenever an emperor was not merely being associated with a senior colleague. One of the first acts of this new reign was the recognition of Majorian, after whose death Leo, though not recognizing Severus, accepted the western consuls, and, while sending an embassy to Gaiseric to secure the liberation of the widow and daughters of Valentinian, urged him to cease attacking Italy and Sicily. Gaiseric refused to make peace with the west, or to release Eudoxia, whom he married to his son, but on receiving a share of Valentinian's property, released his widow and his other daughter Placidia, who came to Constantinople. Some years later, Eudoxia escaped and ended her days at Jerusalem. Leo also induced Marcellinus, who had set up an independent power in Dalmatia, to keep peace with the Western Emperor, but further embassies to Gaiseric effected nothing. About this time, the migration of the Avars from the east caused a movement among the Hunnic tribes of the Caucasus, in consequence of which the Surigurs asked for Roman protection and obtained it, though some trouble with the fugitive peoples followed. But when the Surigurs invaded Persian territory, an embassy arrived from King Piroz to complain of the treatment of Magians in the empire and the reception of fugitives, and to ask for the stipulated contribution in money or men towards the defense of the Caucasian gates, and money for the war against the Ephthalites, to which an answer was sent through the ex-prefect Constantine that the complaints were unfounded and the contribution could not be given. Meanwhile, Gobazes, king of Lazica, had offended the government and a campaign in his country was undertaken, the troops returning to Roman territory for the winter. The coast road was, however, so difficult that the Romans were thinking of asking leave to pass through Persian territory. Accordingly, on receiving an embassy from Gobazes, Leo granted peace on the nominal condition that he and his son should not reign conjointly, and Gobazes, having failed to obtain help from Piroz on account of the Ephthalite War, consented to retire in his son's favor. A certain Dionysus, who was known to Gobazes from previous negotiations, was at his request sent to Lazica and brought the king back with him to Constantinople, where by plausible words and the wearing of Christian emblems he obtained favor, so that his abdication was not insisted on. His submission drew upon him the enmity of Peroz, and a force under Heraclius was sent to his support. But as the Persians were occupied elsewhere and the maintenance of the troops was expensive, Gobazes sent them back. Leo was meanwhile negotiating with Peroz through Constantine, but Piroz, having overcome the Ephthalites, sent to announce the fact, and turned against Gobazes, who had meanwhile taken some forts from his northeastern neighbors, the Suani, who were in alliance with Persia. Gobazes asked that part of the Armenian frontier force might be sent to his support, but Leo, being occupied with the African expedition, refused assistance. Meanwhile, the relations between Leo and Aspar had become strained. A difference between them had arisen in 459 when Leo appointed Vivianus prefect in preference to Aspar's candidate, Tatianus, and again in 460 Leo expelled the patriarch Timothy of Alexandria in spite of Aspar's opposition. Another dispute arose over the fairs of Illyricum. The Pannonian Ostrogoths, whose subsidy had been withheld by Leo, raided Illyricum and took Dyrrachium, but were obliged to give Theodomir's son, the boy Theodoric, as a hostage before obtaining the pay which they claimed. They then turned against the neighboring tribes, and after a time became involved in a war with the Skiri. Both parties appealed to the emperor for help, and, though Aspar advised neutrality, Leo insisted on supporting the Skiri, who gained a victory, 
Walamir falling in the battle. The Emperor was alarmed by the condition of the West, which after Majorian's death fell under the domination of Rickimer, and he determined, if possible, to save the East from a similar fate. But as Aspar was surrounded by a large bodyguard of Goths and other dependents and the Thracian Goths, whose chief, Theodoric, son of Triarius, was his wife's nephew, were in alliance with him, and it was necessary to raise a force from some other quarter to overthrow him. Accordingly, Leo turned his eyes towards the Isaurians, who had done so much injury to the Empire in the days of Arcadius and Theodosius, but might now be used to rescue it from more dangerous enemies. His elder daughter, Ariadne, was therefore given in marriage to the Isaurian Terra who in memory of his countrymen of the time of Theodosius took the name of Zeno, and brought with him an Isaurian bodyguard to set against that of Aspar. Meanwhile, disturbances had arisen in Thrace. From about 460, the command there was held by Ardaburius, but it was afterwards transferred to Basilicus, brother of Leo's wife, Verina. In 467, trouble arose with Attila's son, Dengizic, and a force of Huns crossed the Danube with a large body of Goths. But the two nations were surrounded by a Roman army, and induced by a trick to fight one another, so that a general slaughter followed, from which only a few escaped. In 467, Ricimer, requiring the eastern fleet for protection against the Vandals, asked Leo to nominate an emperor, whereupon he chose Marcian's son-in-law, Anthemius, and, having persuaded Marcellinus to submit to the new emperor, prepared a great expedition by land and sea. But the fleet was, by the mismanagement of Vasilisius, almost annihilated, and Aspar, the Vandal's friend, was believed to have induced him to betray his trust. After his return, he took refuge in St. Sophia, but at Verena's intercession, escaped punishment. Meanwhile, Zeno was sent to Thrace, and the soldiers, instigated, as was supposed, by Aspar, tried to murder him, and he with difficulty escaped to Sardica. The command was then given to Anagast, who soon afterwards rebelled. Having been persuaded to submit, he accused Artaburius of prompting his rebellion. Zeno now strengthened the Isurians in Constantinople by introducing a band of marauders who had been driven from Rhodes, and their arrival was, on the account of the unpopularity of the Isurians, followed by a riot. He was then sent to the east as Magister Militum, and, as such, was compelled to remove the Isaurian robber Indicus, son of Papirius, from his hereditary stronghold of Cherus. The rise of Zeno and the strength of the Isaurians forced Aspar to act vigorously, if he was not to be altogether ousted from power, and he pressed Leo to make his second son, Patricius, Caesar, and give him his daughter Leontia in marriage. In spite of the opposition of the monks, who were horrified at the prospect of an Arian emperor, Leo thought it best to comply, and the new Caesar, for some reason, went to Alexandria, where he displayed himself with great pomp. Something more than titles was however needed to make Aspar secure, and Artaburius tried to cut the ground from under the emperor's feet by tampering with the Isaurians in Constantinople. This was revealed to Zeno, who had returned to Constantinople in the latter half of 471, and it was resolved to make an end to the supremacy of the Alans. Aspar and his two elder sons were accordingly treacherously cut down in the palace, though Patricius is said to have recovered from his wounds. The youngest son, Hermanaric, had received warning from Zeno and was not there. Some of Aspar's guards under Osteri broke into the palace, but were expelled by the Excubitores, a new force instituted by Leo, perhaps for some such purpose. They succeeded, however, in escaping, and after doing some damage in Thrace, joined Theodoric, but an attack on the city by the Goths was repulsed. Leontia was now given in marriage to Marcion, the son of Anthemius. Before the attack on Aspar, Leo had thought it desirable to gain the support of the Goths of Pannonia, and therefore released Theodoric, the Amal, who returned with great gifts to his father. 
His first act was to defeat the Sarmatians and recover Singidunum, which, however, he did not restore to the Emperor. So, far from assisting Leo, Theodomir, now released from restraint, thought the disturbances in both divisions of the Empire a good opportunity to acquire new territories. Accordingly, he sent Widimir to Italy, while he himself marched southeast and occupied Nasus. Leo thereupon sent Hilarianus, master of the offices, to offer him settlements in Lower Moesia. On these terms, peace was made, and soon afterwards Theodomir died and was succeeded by Theodoric. As Theodoric, son of Triarius, remained in arms, an ambassador was sent to ask his terms, and through his envoys whom he sent to Constantinople, he demanded Aspar's property, his post of Magister Militum, and a grant of the whole of the province of Thrace. As Leo would only agree to the second of these demands, Theodoric sent a force to Philippi, which however only burned the suburbs while he himself reduced Arcadiopolis. But as the Goths were straitened for food, he sent another embassy, and peace was made on the conditions that he was made Magister Militum and paid 2,000 pounds of gold a year, and that Leo recognized him as chief of all the Thracian Goths and did not receive deserters from them, while he undertook to assist the emperor against all enemies except the Vandals, who had been Aspar's friends. The reign of Leo was afterwards remembered for the law by which all legal process and all spectacles in the theater, amphitheater, and circuses were forbidden on Sundays. Similar laws had been passed by Constantine, Theodosius, and Arcadius, but had probably remained little more than dead letters, and it is unlikely that even this law, at least the latter portion, was ever fully carried out. But in spite of the increasing Christian tendency of the government and of laws to the contrary, heathens continued to hold high offices of state and enjoy the favor of the court. Prominent among these was James, the physician, philosopher, and man of letters, son of a Syrian father and Greek mother, whose medical skill made him indispensable. Isaacasius, also a Sicilian philosopher, was made quaestor. Being deprived of his post and arrested under the law which forbade the tenure of office by a heathen, he was, at the intercession of James, sent for trial before Puseus, the prefect, who was known to be in sympathy with him, and allowed to escape by submitting to baptism. The philosopher Eulogius also received a pension. One of Leo's last acts was to surrender the island of Jotaba at the northern end of the Red Sea to the Arab Amru Lachaeus. This man, coming from Persian territory, had reduced several Arab tribes and occupied the island, driving out the Roman tax collectors. He then sent the bishop of his tribe to ask for a grant of the island and the chieftainship of the tribes of the province of Palestine III. And, though this was contrary to the Treaty of 422, Leo sent for him, treated him with honor, and granted his requests. During this year, the emperor was attacked by a serious illness, which made it necessary to settle the succession. Fearing, on the account of the unpopularity of the Isaurians, to declare Zeno his successor, he made his grandson, Zeno's son Leo, a boy of five, Caesar, and later crowned him Augustus in the circus. Less than three months afterwards, he died at the age of 63, and, as it was probably known that the child was unlikely to live, he was directed by Ariadne and Verena to place the crown upon his father's head. On his death, nine months later, Zeno became sole emperor in the east. The new government began with a great success, the end of the disastrous Vandal War. One of the last acts in this war was the capture of Nicopolis by the Vandals very soon after Leo's death. And about the same time, Zeno sent Severus to treat for peace, who greatly impressed Gaiseric by refusing to accept presents for himself and saying that the most acceptable present would be the release of the captives, whereupon the king gave him all the captives belonging to himself and his sons and allowed him to ransom as many more as he could. Shortly afterwards, a perpetual peace was made, which after Gaiseric's death was confirmed by his son. The Vandal danger was at an end. The peace was the more necessary on account of the disturbances in other quarters. 
the Arabs were making one of their raids in Syria, the Bulgarians appeared for the first time south of the Danube, and the accession of the Isaurian led to a serious rising of the Thracian Goths, who took prisoner Heraclius, the Magister Militum of Thrace, and held him to ransom. Zeno levied the sum from the general's kinsmen and sent it to the Goths, but after receiving it they killed their captive. Ilus, one of the many Isaurians who came to Constantinople after Zeno's ascension, a man whose large native following and influence with his countrymen made him a power in the state, was now appointed to the command and succeeded in holding the Goths in check. But the favor with which these Isaurian adventurers were received increased the emperor's unpopularity, and his son's death was soon followed by a plot. Verena's brother Vasilesius, who was living in retirement at Heraclea, opened negotiations with Elus, and no doubt by large promises induced him to betray his patron, and Verena joined the conspiracy which the son of Triarius also supported. Verena frightened Zeno into escaping by night with his wife and mother, and fleeing to Isauria, and the conspirators gained possession of the city without fighting. The empress had been led to believe that she would be allowed to raise Patricius, master of the offices, to the throne which she intended to share as his wife, but Vasilesius did not intend to act for anyone but himself, and, having the strongest support, was proclaimed emperor, the proclamation being followed by a massacre of Isaurians. Patricius was put to death, and Verena tried to get up a conspiracy for Zeno's restoration. This being discovered, she fled to St. Sophia, but her nephew, Armatus, conveyed her away and kept her in safety till Zeno's return. Meanwhile, Ilus and his brother Trocundes were sent against Zeno, blockaded him in Spiti, and captured his brother Longinus. But soon things turned again in his favor. In the first place, Vasilesius had offended Theodoric by transferring the post of Magister Militum to his own nephew Armatus, a man of fashion who posed as a soldier and was supported by the favor of the Empress Zenonius. And in the second place, he favored the Monophysites, and, not content with abrogating the theological decree of Chalcedon, was induced by Timothy of Alexandria to abolish the Patriarchate of Constantinople created by that synod, thereby making a bitter enemy of the bishop Akakius, a man who cared little about theology but knew well how to stir up popular fanaticism. So threatening was the aspect of affairs that Vasilesius recalled his decrees, but it was too late. Ilus and Trocundes went over to Zeno, and the combined forces marched on Constantinople, while Trocundes, with some Isaurian guards, was sent to Antioch. Armatus marched to Nicaea to oppose Zeno's advance, but he had no mind to fight in a losing cause, and on receiving the promise of the office of Magister Militum for life and the rank of Caesar for his son, Vasilesius, left the road open. And as Theodoric held aloof, Zeno entered Constantinople without opposition. Vasilesius and his family fled to St. Sophia, but they were handed over to some of his enemies, who took them to Cappadocia and beheaded them all. The promise to Armatus was kept, but as he was entering the circus, where Zeno and the young Caesar were watching the games, he was assassinated by Onulf, a man who had received great kindness from him and been raised by his influence to the military command of Illyricum. His son was ordained a reader and afterwards became bishop of Cyzicus. Theodoric the Amal, who from rivalry with his namesake had supported Zeno, was made Magister Militum and adopted in Teutonic fashion as Zeno's son-in-arms. It was perhaps these commotions which enabled the Samaritans to set up as emperor the robber Justassa, who took Caesarea, but was defeated and killed by the Duke of Palestine. Leo left the treasury full, and at the beginning of Zeno's reign the burdens were considerably lightened by the prefect Eurythrius. But, as the sum wanted for Isaurian favorites could not be raised without extortion, he resigned, and his successor Sebastian earned a bad reputation by selling offices to the highest bidder. 
His administration was, however, distinguished by an act providing that all civil and military governors should remain in their district for 50 days after termination of office, in order that anyone with a grievance might prefer an accusation against them. One of Zeno's first tasks after his return was to decide what policy to follow with regard to the affairs of the West. The concord between the courts had been broken by the murder of Anthemius, but Leo, shortly before his death, nominated as emperor Nepos, the nephew and successor of Marcellinus, and gave him Verena's niece in marriage. The friction of the unity of the empire was, however, in part abandoned since Nepos' name does not appear in Eastern laws. After his expulsion and the dethronement of his successor, the Roman Senate asked Zeno to grant Odovacar the title of patrician, and Nepos begged for help to recover his throne. Zeno advised Odovacar to apply to Nepos for the title, but styled him patrician in a letter while declining to help Nepos. The son of Triarius, wishing to obtain pay for his men, sought to make his peace. But the Senate, to which Zeno referred the matter, said they could not pay both Theodorics, and left it to him to choose between them. Zeno then made a violent speech to the army against the son of Triarius. He did not, however, immediately break with him, but protracted negotiations. At last, finding that his strength was increasing while that of his rival was diminishing, he summoned troops from all quarters and announced the appointment of Elus to the command, which was, however, probably because of his growing jealousy of Elus, transferred to Martinianus. As this change led to disorder among the Isaurian soldiery, Zeno summoned the Amal to his aid, promising that, if he would take the field, Martinianus should meet him at the passes of Mount Hamus and another force at the Hebrus, and on this understanding Theodoric set out. But either from treachery or from lack of discipline, no army met him, and his Roman guides led him to a place where he found the heights in front occupied by his rival, who then easily persuaded him to make common cause against the emperor. Both sent to Constantinople to state their terms, the Amal demanding land and provisions for his men and the emoluments of his office, and the son of Triarius the terms granted by Leo with the arrears of pay and the restoration of any living members of Aspar's family. Zeno promised the former, in case of victory, a large sum down, a yearly pension, and the hand of Valentinian's granddaughter Juliana, or any other lady whom he might name, and, this offer being refused, announced that he would lead the army himself but circumstances now caused a change of plan. The part played by Elus in 475, together with his retention of Longinus as a hostage and his influence with the Isaurian soldiers, made him something of a thorn in Zeno's side, and the jealous ambition of Verena rendered her his deadly enemy. In the summer of 477, Paul, one of the emperor's slaves, tried to assassinate him and was surrendered for punishment. In 478, another attempt was made by an Alan who under torture confessed that he had been instigated by Epinicus the prefect, a client of Urbicius, the eunuch chamberlain and favored by Verena. Zeno thereupon surrendered Epinicus also to Elus, who sent him to Isauria, and then, having obtained leave on the ground of the death of a brother, withdrew to his native country. Fearing a rebellion on the part of Elus, Zeno now resolved to secure the support of the son of Triarius and renounced his intention of taking the field. And as this caused disaffection in the army, he, on Martinianus's advice, recalled it to winter quarters. Peace was then made. The son of Triarius was to receive food and pay for 13,000 men, the command of two regiments of Scolarii, the office of Magister Militum, and the property that had been taken from him, while any surviving members of the Aspar family were to retain their property and live in any city that Zeno might choose. End of section 56